You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. So tonight we're going to be talking about eschatology one more time. You remember that eschatology is a study of the end times. Uh, Just as a reminder, next week we don't meet in here, right? We're going to meet up in the sanctuary at 6.30 for what's Waypoint. We're going to have a baptism party and celebration of a lot of different ministries. We hope that you can come. Uh, I think even a few folks there, a couple people in here are going to be baptized next Sunday night. Where where are we at? Awesome. We're going to celebrate that. Awesome. We want to celebrate you guys. Awesome. Great. Um, Celebrate. It's going to be exciting, exciting. Uh, but tonight, uh, so this will be our, our last systematic theology course. We'll do Waypoint, and then we'll be getting into some other stuff for the remainder of the year and looking into next year as well. Uh, but tonight, we want to look at is what happens at the final judgment. Doesn't that sound encouraging, right, okay? You know, just like, man, I'm just looking forward to that. Um, this is the kind of thing that is what, uh, if you ever had anybody in your life that used religion to scare you, right, okay? One day you're going to stand before Jesus, right? He's going to get you, you know, and that, that kind of mentality. But we really do need to understand what does Scripture teach us about this because uh, I believe, as probably like many of you do, there is coming a day when Jesus will declare the eternal state for every person. Let's just think about that. There's coming a day when Jesus is going to look and declare the eternal state for every person, and there's not an appeal after that. There's not a, can I come back around? It is the final state, the eternal state, and what Jesus will do with us then depends on what we do with him now, Right? So what happens there is basically, are you going to uh, receive what he has said is necessary for you to spend eternity with him? And so let's look at a few things here tonight, starting with what's called the final judgment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says it this way, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now does that sound fun, anybody? (laughs) To stand before the Lord and to appear and to say, okay, judgment seat of Christ, I've got to stand. Now, now this is what's, what's challenging about this. Um, you know, throughout pastoring, you get the opportunity to do a lot of different things. Um, and one of the things that I've done on many occasions is to sit with a family while they await a judgment in a courtroom. Um, this has happened to a family member. Can you be here? We don't know what's about to happen. And there, there's a lot, if you've ever served in a place, if you've ever been in a point in your life where you've had, basically, a judge is about to say something, about to change my life, right? And you kind of feel like a whole lot of weights in your hands. If you're honest enough with yourself, you can say, well, I didn't have to put him in this position, right? okay? Like, there are some things I did to put my, myself in this position, but in a moment, that gavel's going to drop, and it's going to mean one thing or another for me. And you know the weight of it. You also know the weight of thinking not only what might happen to me, but if you sat there with another family member or when, when you await that, but to think that one day we appear before the judgment seat of Christ and there is no, uh, you got some explaining to do, right? There, there's no talking yourself out of this. Um, in some of those courtroom scenes, can I tell you something that I've seen, even though I've seen different judges, different lawyers, different people in the stand, um, a lot of times I've seen a lot more mercy for those who would say, I plead guilty and I'm sorry, versus those who goes, well, judge, let me explain. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you how I got in a situation, what so-and-so did, and you know, blah, 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 it's not really my fault. And you can almost see the demeanor of a judge change. Now, I, I can't equate what an earthly judge would do to what the heavenly judge would do, but I do know this. If you claim your innocence, you're done. You know why? You're not. You're not innocent. 
I'm not innocent. Not one of us is innocent. So we've got to go in under a different type of defense there, right? It can't be, well, no, I, I didn't deserve this, or, you know, so-and-so made me. No, no, it's like, this is, I'm standing before the Almighty God, and I don't have anybody to put in front of me as a shield now. He sees straight to me. He knows what I've done. He knows what I've said. He even knows what I've thought about. And what do you do in that? You receive what's due. Well, this is what we know from what Scripture teaches about that. That, as the old saying goes, God brought us into this world and will take us out of it one day. Right? Okay? Maybe your grandmama said that. Your mom, your dad, somebody. somebody I brought you in this world. I'm going to take you out of it. Right? Okay? Well, in reality, uh, that is the, the teaching of God. God has brought us in this world. And one day, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to pass away and face him, or he's going to come back and you're going to face him. Right? That's, that's going to happen. In fact, Hebrews 9.27 says it this way. And just as it is appointed for man to die, what? Once. Once, And after that comes judgment. judgment. Whew. Right? Um, You know, when I was... uh, when I was like teenager in the 90s, there were a lot of different uh, artists would say stuff in a lot of different bumper stickers and a lot of different t-shirts that would say, only God can judge me. And I go, you right. And I don't know if you really want that okay? because it's almost like nobody else needs to worry about judging me. Only God can do that. But what the difference about God's judgment is he knows everything about you. You're going to die and you're standing there before him and he's going to determine, right, what happens forever at this point. So it says it's going to come judgment. And so what that means is that every person who has died before Christ's return, and everyone living at that time will face the judgment seat of Christ. There is coming a day, right? There's coming a day that if someone has died before Jesus Christ has returned and come back, or if you're still on earth at the time that he comes, every single person will face the judgment seat of Christ. That something will happen where we will go before him and once again, um, it's a single file line to the judgment seat. It's not a group kind of deal. It's you facing him, and he knows everything about you. Matthew twelve thirty six. Jesus says it this way. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Now, it's Sunday, and I'm a preacher, and I got a few of those. Okay, like I, if I think, now, now, this can be overwhelming because... Um, I am often one who will tell you that when you get to heaven, you're not going to have to stand there and equip for all that. Well, how is that? Because if you walk before the judgment seat of Christ, either Christ has paid for your sins or he has not. Follow? Either Christ has paid for your sins or you're going to have to pay for your sins. So if the grace of Jesus is as good as the Bible says it is, that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, then when I go to see God, I'm not going to have condemnation brought up. You know why? Because Christ paid for it on the cross. Or I still own that. I still carry that. I still have to deal with that. We know that Scripture teaches we are not saved by good works, but what? For good works. So the reason why I say that is, as we understand about... What does this mean to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and what we do? Like, I thought it was about grace. Well, it is. It's about grace. It's not about good works. Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own self. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let me just remind everybody here tonight, you cannot do enough good deeds to earn heaven. You can't. Even your good deeds are filthy rags before God. You know why? I've done good stuff in my lifetime, and I've done it with bad motives. I don't know if y'all have ever done it. Sometimes I've done it to get in good graces with somebody. I'm selfish. 
Sometimes I've done it so that other people will see me. I'm prideful. I've done all kinds of different stuff. Or even the, the thought, the thought of doing good works to earn heaven is basically this. God, I think that I'm going to be good enough to earn you, to earn heaven. And that's a total misrepresentation of who we really are. So we're not saved by good works, but we should be saved in the sense of it should change our lives so that we want to do good works, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you can't be saved by good works, but then Ephesians 2, 10 is, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So I didn't get saved because of good works, but once I got saved, I wanted to do good works. See the difference? So... Um, so often I, I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, um, whenever I proposed to my girlfriend at the time, my, my now wife, we've been married for 18 years, um, I went all out. I mean, I went all out, doing all kinds of special stuff, surprising her, blah, 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 doing this kind of stuff. And when the people saw what I was setting up in Charleston to surprise her, they literally said, are you doing all this because you're not sure if she's going to say yes? And I was like, hold on. How could anybody say yet? no to a face like this? Right? Like, like, that's what I was thinking, but it, that apparently didn't work. Are you doing all this stuff to make sure she says yes? Are you doing this, you know, whatever? And I said, no, I'm not doing this stuff to earn her love. I'm doing it because I already got it, right? Like, I want to do these things tonight to be like, just go like, this is how much, like, you're worth to me. Like, I want just to go all out because I am so thankful that you want to be in a relationship with me. I'm not worried if it's this many flowers versus that many flowers. She's going to say no. It's the fact she actually wants to be in a relationship with, she knows me, and she still wants to be with me anyway. Like, that makes me want to do good things for her, right? In the same way, our relationship with God should not be, God, I'm doing all these things so that, you, that you'll love me. He knows everything about it. The fact that he loves us should cause us to want to do good things. When I think about where I was before knowing Christ and where I am now, it causes me to want to motivate myself, to mobilize, to do the things that he's called me to do. But here's the problem. If we're not saved by good works, but for good works, understand this, and we're going to unpack this because this can be really dangerous, so y'all hold on. Scripture teaches that we will each be judged by our good works. Okay? So you're not saved by good works. But the proof of your salvation, guess what? It's good works. Scripture teaches we will be judged by our good works. So um, there should be something coming out of your life that proves that God is your Father. A tree is known by its fruit good tree good roots good fruit's going to come out right like that that's the point of it and so look what jesus says in matthew 7 um he says beware of false what prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but emerly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their their fruits right you're going to recognize them by what they do are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Let me just stop there for a second. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever known anybody who swears they are very religious, but you don't see a lot of godliness coming from their life? It's a bad tree. It might look like a good tree, but it, it's not a good tree. Um, so, uh, any of you, have, have you ever bitten into a persimmon, anybody? Okay. Okay, some of you know what I'm talking about? I didn't know. Okay, my, my father-in-law is the one who introduced me to a persimmon. He was looking, we were out there on the farm, he's like, look at all these horses, they're going, they love these persimmons. Uh, he said, have you ever tried one? I said, oh man, they're good. I'm like, really? They're looking at me. I'm like, okay. 
and you know, it's your father-in-law. You don't, you don't, you tell him, why don't you try one? I was like, oh, okay, well, sure. I'm, I'm a man of, I would say, multi-taste, right? Okay, yeah, persimmon, I've never had one, sure. I took a bite of it, and it's like your mouth turns to stone. It just starts spreading through. You, it's the, it's the, the nastiest thing I've ever tasted. It literally does something to your mouth. It like it freezes. It turns. I mean, it was so horrible. He's over there dying, laughing at me, and I'm just like, why in the world? Like I, I married your daughter. I didn't ask for you. Okay, like that's what I'm thinking at this moment. Um, but 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 here's the deal. Like a persimmon tree makes persimmons, right? It doesn't make apples. It, it makes stuff that is nasty to the taste, and I don't care what horses do with it. I don't know what they're there for, okay? It's just not good. You can't make a persimmon tree produce something else. It is what it is. It produces what the roots are. And so um, here's the deal. A follower of Jesus is going to have good fruit come out of his or her life. It's going to happen. Perfectly? No. No. There'll be stuff that falls off the tree. There'll be bad fruit in there, but but the... But the natural uh, branches of the life, most, most often it should be going there. You go, well, sometimes I've gone to a bad tree and it's had good fruit. You're right. In the same way that a broken clock is correct two times a day, right? If, if your clock gets stuck on, on, on 413, guess what? It will be right two minutes out of the day. But the rest of the time it's broken. So the same way I know people who don't follow God, and every so often there's something good that comes out of their life. That's not who they are. But just every so often. It will turn that way. And so this is what he, he says next. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the what? Fire. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So Jesus says there's coming a day where we will be able to tell where every person is based on their fruit, based on their works. Now, um, this is challenging for me. And, and it's hard because uh, here, here's what I, I do know. Um, there's nobody besides Jesus that's perfect. And I don't care how long you've been walking with him, you're still going to struggle with sin. You realize that? Amen. You will. You always will. But we ought to be able to see a progress in your life. Slow, maybe. Gradual, you better believe it. But over time, you ought to be showing signs that Christ is inside you and good stuff is coming out, right? Like that should be present. And, and the occasion, the, the stuff you still struggle with, yes, there's going to be branches in you and, and stuff that's messed up and, and that shouldn't be developed the way that it should, but your natural way in life. And so here's the deal. Um, I think a way to summarize this, if we are truly saved, our lives will prove it. Over time, our lives will prove it. Once again, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean you never struggle but your life should be seen as someone who is uh, following Christ. Uh, I think one of the, the easiest ways to, to consider this, um, you know, uh, with just take my kids, for example. I always think about how somebody was telling me this other day. They said, you know, when you came here five years ago, your kids are like this, and now they're like, you know, they're, they're so tall, they're so big. Um, if we see somebody that hasn't seen them in a long time, they're shocked at their size, right? They're just overwhelmed shocked. If I see them day in and day out, I'm not noticing the change. Why? You can't notice it day to day. It, it takes a long time. And I say that because I believe that some of us are really getting frustrated because you're not seeing steroid shots of discipleship in your life. Day to day, you're watching yourself and going, still struggling, still struggling, get a little better, get better. And you look at the last four months of your life, and you're seeing slow progress. But sometimes, I'll be honest with you, some, there's some people who walk with Christ I hadn't seen in a while, and you get around them and you go, man, you've grown, Right? 
Like there is a difference in you. I'm starting to see a change. And I'm just saying that the final judgment, it's not going to have to be we, we pull out some card to say whether or not we receive Christ, whether or not we've been baptized. It's going to be this. Our lives will prove if we belong to Jesus or not. Not perfectly, but you will see the natural trajectory of our life. And on Judgment Day, it will be established. Now let's talk about the eternal state. What does this mean? In Matthew 25, 46, it says, And these will go away into eternal what? Punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So two options here. Eternal punishment or eternal life. Once again, how long is it? Eternal. That's a long time, right? Um, my daughter Gloria was recently saying, whenever I start thinking about forever, my head hurts, right? I get it. I understand that. It, it makes my head hurt as well. So one of two things are going to happen, either eternal punishment or eternal life. And so Jesus talks about in this, this passage, he's talking about the difference between the sheep and the goats, right? He talks about the difference between the wheat and the tare. Different stuff that from the outside, sometimes you may not be able to tell the difference. But the one, the shepherd knows, these belong here, these belong there. And, and it's obvious. And so what Scripture teaches about this is um, there are two destination points, right? Two destination points for every soul. One is, one is hell, one is heaven, right? Okay, that, that, those are your options. And this is what we know. A lot of people in our culture today have a hard time with the idea of hell, right? Because they don't think anybody deserves to be eternally punished. They just go, okay, maybe 40 years, <laughs> maybe a hundred years. I don't know if I deserve eternal punishment. And if we don't think we deserve punishment, it's because we think God is too strict or we are too innocent. One of those two things is present in our hearts that we've got to evaluate, folks, because this is very, very important for us tonight. If you don't think you deserve punishment, it's because either you think that God is too strict, too many rules, too many expectations, too hard, too difficult on us, or we think that we are too innocent. Um, give you an example. Many people would think that hell is a fitting place for people like the likes, likes of Adolf Hitler, but not you, because you've only struggled with a few little things, right? And what that means is this. You don't realize the severity of your sin. Um, I imagine that everybody in here tonight would not desire all of your sins to be flashed out upon this screen on my next slide, would you? Right? Kind of embarrassing a little bit? Some of you are like, no, I'd be fine. Okay. We'll just put your pride up there then, okay? Like, that's what we'll put up for you, okay? Um, your arrogance. We'll, go, we'll start there. Um, your deception. Um, a lot of times we have this mentality that, you know what? I, I don't know if, yeah, I understand that some people deserve that, but do I deserve that? Um, have you ever had a thought in your mind that scared you? Okay? Some of y'all are like, I don't know if I can admit that in church. I'll admit it. I have thoughts in my head sometimes. I thought, where did that come from? Like, I didn't think I was that angry of a person, but apparently I am. Like, I, wh where did that come from? And, and sometimes the stuff that just goes around in here, that if I follow that to the logical conclusions of where that may take, my anger may take me, like I go, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot worse shape than I, I think that I am. And it's not that... God is too strict. It's definitely not that I'm too innocent. But I believe that our pride could convince, only pride could convince us that we don't deserve God's wrath. That I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good person. I'm much better than so-and-so. And what is that? It's the sin of pride. It's the sin that says your stuff doesn't smell that bad. And you're definitely not as bad as everybody else out there. 
And, and the reality is that we've got to get to the point of saying, no, 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 like me personally, I deserve God's wrath. What is Revelation 20:15? He says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Clear enough for everybody here, right? Now, here, here's, here's this that, that can somewhat be problematic. You know, like I, I, um, I've told my kids before that uh, if they tell a lie, is that a sin? They go, of course it's a sin. Like, no, really? Do you think it's a sin? Yes. Do you think just by lying you deserve hell? Uh, I don't know. I said, do you think you should be punished if you lie? And, and they kind of go, well, maybe, but I guess it depends. I said, depends on what? I guess what it's about and who it's to. I said, interesting, right? So if you just say a lie to your sibling, you go, well, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, you know, whatever. Like, I'm just deceiving them, and they'll get over it, whatever. But what if you lied to me? Like, well, I might get in trouble for that one. Oh, yeah, you get in trouble for it, right? What if you decide one day to lie to your boss or lie to the police officer or lie to the judge? What if there's some type of lie that puts you in trouble with the president of the United States of America, right? All right, you see you keep going up the, the ante right here, and you go, well, this is bigger, 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 based on the authority in their life. What if you have lied to the Almighty God, who has done nothing but provide for you all your life, and yet in your deception and defiance and arrogance and pride, continue to tell him, I know better than you, and I'll do whatever I want to, and I don't care who I have to run over to get it done. What does that mean about us? If you think that, you, that hell seems like too harsh of a place because... I don't think that God would send innocent people there. You're right, because there's nobody innocent. In fact, besides Jesus, God has never punished an innocent person. The only innocent person who's ever been punished is Jesus Christ. And everybody else, if we receive punishment from God, it's because we deserve it. Um, I know my own heart, and I know how far off I am from God. I don't know if y'all have ever read or heard of a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a, a pastor years, years ago, uh, and they, starting at the great, uh, first Great Awakening here in the States. And um, they talked about Jonathan Edwards was really not a great, great communicator. Like, he wasn't this orator that, like, kind of spoke and everybody just, like, glued to him. In fact, this is how Jonathan Edwards read. He actually said his sermons. He read it like this. He put his paper in front of him and just read it word for word. All throughout, it'd be like long, long sermons. He would just read it. When I was in high school, we read one of his sermons in our literature class. Some of y'all may have this. I was in public school, okay, so I don't even know how they let this thing slide. It was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Isn't that awesome? And he read this thing just dry as could be, talking about blah, 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 what's going to happen, you little worm, and all your sins kind of stuff. People that were there said people were holding on to the columns of the church, screaming and asking God for mercy. Like it just hit them how sinful they were and how far off from God they were. And, and the only person who's ever been innocent that has been punished was Jesus and that anybody else is punished is because we deserve this. When you look at the, what Scripture teaches, it says that Christians will receive reward at the end of all things, but non-Christians will receive punishment. You'll either receive reward for what you have done in your life or you will receive the punishment for what you have done in your life. And... With this, you go, well, man, I want to receive reward. Did you know that uh, uh, I, I, read, I read somewhere this week, they talked about that, um, and this, this is a challenging topic. I wish we had more time to get into this, but 
really in heaven, y'all, y'all do realize that there are rewards even in, inside of heaven, right? Like you, you get in, but then there's other perks and stuff based upon how you live your life kind of. And that, that seems kind of hard. Like wouldn't you be jealous in heaven? But somebody worded it this way. In heaven, everybody's got full cups, but just some of our cups are bigger than others. We all got what we need, right? Okay. But it's also like this. Um, I've heard it said this way. Let's just imagine we all live in an apartment complex. And tonight that apartment complex caught on fire, and some of you are aware of it, and you got all your stuff out, and then, you, like, everything. You emptied out everything. I was sleeping hard, okay, on, on my, my floor. I mean, I was just completely out, and then somebody finally starts banging on the door, knocks out, and says, you're going to, and I wake up, and I can see the fire, I smell the smoke, and I realize I don't have time to do anything but get myself down these stairs and get out this building. I don't take anything with me, but you know what I do have with me? My life. And so that night, I'm thankful to God for the one who pointed me out on the way. And so how do you realize what heaven's like? Well, some of us got a bunch of stuff, and some of us just basically made it through. I'm thankful to God I'm not in the fire. That's why. I can for eternity say, at least I didn't go down, right? I, I know that I can be in his presence. And so there are rewards that will be given, but also we believe non-Christians will receive punishment. So we will either get what we deserve or what Christ earned, Right? Those are the two options. We will either get what we deserve or what Christ earned. I never, ever, ever want to say to God, please give me what I deserve because I know what I deserve. I deserve death. I deserve his punishment. I deserve his wrath. So either I'm going to get that or I'm going to get what Christ earned. Christ earned a place for me in heaven to be able to enjoy his presence forever. And those are the two things for us. So once again, the two options about an eternal state. Either Christ has suffered for your sins sacrificially or you will suffer for them eternally. One of two things shall happen. Either Christ has already suffered for your sins sacrificially on the what? On the cross. He has suffered for your sins sacrificially or you will suffer for them eternally you will have to do one of the other things either christ has suffered for you or you will suffer for what you deserve now a lot of people will have issues with this type of point and let's specifically speak um today uh you probably heard uh i don't know if he's said this in every service but uh, our missionary tony who was here who said that every day in the region that he serves there's forty-four thousand people who die without the chance to hear jesus said that the population the size of Spartanburg goes to eternity every single day where he lives. Now, does that bother anybody here? Like, you hear that number and you go, 44,000, like that? Are you kidding me? And so then the pushback goes, I can't believe God would send innocent people to hell. He doesn't send innocent people to hell. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him. So so this is where I will push back. If you feel overwhelmed that there are people around the world that are potentially dying without the chance to hear the gospel and, and are going to spend eternity in hell, then I would ask you, so what are you doing about it? Because if you're not sharing the gospel with your neighbor, with your friend, or thinking through how your finances, prayers, or efforts could do anything about the other world, don't tell me you're concerned about it. Don't tell me you're frustrated by it. Don't tell me you can't believe God would do that. Because don't seem mortified that people spend eternity in hell if you aren't willing to take a moment to share the gospel with them. 
Lord, I can't believe that this would happen. Like somebody would spend eternity in hell. Well, or is that motivate you to do anything about it? Like, um, does anybody have a family member right now that you go, yeah, if they died right now, uh, that's not looking good for them, right? Here's what I know. If I really believe in hell, I'm going to say something to them about the gospel. And I think a lot of times we like to try to blame God for our inability to speak out about what God has allowed us to know through the truth of his gospel. And so, in reality, a lot of times people will look at me and say, I'm just so, so shocked that a loving God could send anybody to hell. That doesn't shock me. Can I tell you what does shock me? That he let any of us go to heaven. That's what's mind-blowing to me. It's not mind-blowing to me that anybody would go to hell. It's mind-blowing to me that any of us would go to heaven. We shouldn't be surprised that God would allow anyone to go to hell. We should be surprised that any of us could go to heaven because we don't deserve to be there. I have defied the king repeatedly. I have committed insurrection against him. I have told him that I should be in charge and he should not. And there is no reason that he ought to let me in his house. Just ask you a question. Somebody shows up at your door tonight and knocks on the door and says, yeah, I'd like to come in and take over and take all your stuff and beat you up and do whatever I want to. You go, oh, come on in. Huh? Yeah, this is what i got a place for you. Line up here. Which room do you want, right? You'd go, no, I'm not going to do that. Sin is defiant against the almighty God. I don't like you. I don't want your ways. I want to do things my way. And he's going, I'll lay my son down so you can have a place in my house. That's what, what grace is. That's what the opportunity for every single one of us is. This is what Romans 2, 6, 8 says. He will render to each one according to his, what again? Works. Oh, no. What, what? He's going to render us according to works because if your hearts change, guess what? Your works change. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be what? Wrath and fury. So this is your option. You, you get to say, I'm going to either spend eternity with God or I'm going to spend eternity without God. I have once uh, I've heard a preacher say before, basically you need to consider it this way, that hell is God giving you what you've always asked him. God, stay out of my business. I don't want you to tell me what I do. And hell is, you got it. You got it. You want me? You want all the good things out of, my, out of life? You want that? And for the other, the other way, I, I read this one time in a book that said, um, basically, uh, I don't know about you, if you ever look around this world and go, man, we're in pretty bad shape here, right? If you're in Christ, think about it this way. This is the earth here, and I know that uh, we typically think of like heaven up, up high, right? And we think about uh, hell down low with fires and stuff. Okay, here's what I want you to think about. If you're in Christ, right here, you're here on earth, right? This is you. I know you don't think I'm a great drawer here. Okay, that's me. Um, if that's you on earth, you're, you're really big, by the way. Okay, if that's you on earth, if you're in Christ, this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. Now, some days, this earth kind of reminds me of the place, right? Okay, like, this place is crazy. But if you're on earth, your worst day, that's as close as hell as you're going to get. But if you're outside of Christ, guess what? This earth... This is as close to heaven as you're ever going to get. This is the best it gets. And if you go, this ain't that good, now you get into it, right? Now you're understanding this. 
Because what scripture does teach is that one day there's going to be a new heaven and a what? New earth. I want you to turn, if you got your Bibles, I'm going to pull out a couple of verses in Revelation 21, but I want us to end there just to make sure we do unpack some of these truths here tonight. Because it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the what? Sea was no more. Uh-oh. Some of you people who love the beach just got a problem, okay? We've got to figure what that means, okay? Notice this. It's a new heaven and a new earth. So it's not as simple as sometimes we make it out to believe that you die and you go here or you go there. there. There's something different going on because the earth is here for a reason. There's something going on there that maybe we, we don't necessarily always appreciate. But realize that uh, what Scripture teaches here is that Revelation teaches that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Both of these things will take place at one time when Christ returns and all things are made right again. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. And it says in Revelation 21.1 that the sea was no more. Now know this. When you and I think about the sea, you think about vacation, right? That's what you typically think about. Depending upon uh, what state you're in, right? You go, I don't know if you're more of a Charleston person or a Myrtle Beach person or whatever you may be, okay? But there are things that I love about the beach and there are some things that I go, Mm, this don't feel like heaven to me. Okay? <laughs> this, is not, this is not a vacation. There, there are certain aspects of it. But we think of the beach, we think of the water as vacation. The people that the Bible was written to thought about the water as where people go out to die and never return. You get out on a boat and you start drifting out of the water, and sometimes people don't come back. There's conflict there. Uh, the beach around Israel was jagged rocks. Right? You weren't laying out on the sand. If you're laying out, you got a rock sticking in your back. Okay? Like, this is not ideal. So, so the idea, right? Remember when Jesus is on the lake that, that, that night and, and see, and, and also the storm comes up and he calms the water that people always thought, you got there and you, you die. So when it says that the sea is no more, the absence of the sea symbolizes the removal of all conflict. If the sea was always represented as where people go to die or they get lost or they're scared or confused or fearful or unsure if they know their way back, heaven is the place where that conflict is gone. There's no more conflict. There, there's no more war. There's no more battle. There's no more unsurety. When we know this, this is the removal of all conflict. So for me, I had somebody one time tell me, I can't think about heaven without beaches because I love the beach. If you think all heaven is made up of is of a waterscape scene where you can lay out, you do not understand how great and glorious this is going to be, right? Um, we, have realized, we have read in the scripture where it says the streets are paved with what? Gold. So the finest material in our world is what they paved the ground with there. We've got to lift our eyes up a little bit more beyond this. It says that Jesus has prepared a place for those who belong to him. It's a pretty, pretty special thing to think about. A room has been set up for you. Um, I had our missionary friend today say, anytime you want to come to Hong Kong, got a room for you, right? It's real small. Maybe the most comfortable situation. You're going to eat some weird stuff, experience some weird things, but you got a room. Hey, somebody sets up a room for me, I'm on it. I'm ready to go. Let, let's go do this thing. Christ has made a room for you where there's no more sea. No more conflict, no more war, no more COVID, no more politicians, no more sickness and pain and lies and deception, no more taxes, 
No more IRS, no more long lines, no more traffic jams on Woodruff Road to the glory of God. Hallelujah. They are coming a day when something is going to be different. He says it this way, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Right after that verse, I love it. Philip goes, where are you going? We don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one goes to the Father but I mean, through me, right? And so this is the picture of what being with him is going to be like. Um, if you're thinking that at this point in your life you ought to be more godly than you are, I get it. I agree with you, okay? You should be more godly than you are right now. I should be more godly than I am right now. But when I see him, whatever is remaining will be taken care of. We will finally be like him once we finally see him. All of this stuff of this world, gone. That habit you can't get rid of, gone. That addiction that you struggle with for decades, gone. That sickness that has plagued you, gone. Regret doesn't enter past the gates there. This is what we know. This is what it says in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Finally, to see him, to be reconciled, and to finally uh, know him, and to finally rub off all those rough edges around us, to be like the one who we made to be. We were created in God's image. Sin has distorted that, but one day we will be back to what we've called us to be. Pain, tears, and regret are not allowed in heaven. They are not allowed there. Cannot function. And so when Christ returns, each of us have the opportunity to figure out what we're going to do. I, um, there was a situation recently where um, my daughter was a part of... Uh, some type of group there was a bunch of uh, kids playing and she came up to me and she said dad there's all these boys that keep going over here and stepping on our stuff and yelling at us and throwing sticks at us and i said show me the boys okay show me where they are and um and my wife is like travis don't get arrested and i'm like if they mess with my girl i might as well go ahead and get arrested okay like she said and so i went up there and, and finally I, I looked at some stuff and i did i saw these little riffraff they were throwing stuff at my daughter and these other girls and like i just got hot and so, like, I came around the corner. They didn't see me coming, but these little boys are picking on these little girls. When I hit the corner, I'm a pretty big dude. I know I'm not the most pleasant to look like, look at in the world, especially when I got the crazy dad eye. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was doing this kind of thing. Like, I hit that corner, and these boys like, ah! just, like, literally just started running for their life, and all these girls were like, yay, Mr. Agnew! You know, they're just, like, cheering and whatnot. And isn't it crazy that one appearing, one presence, same person, different reactions based upon those who were doing well and those who were doing evil. I come around the corner, and those who are doing evil are scared for their life, and they should have been, right? And those who were just trying to do what they were supposed to do were rejoicing when the Father came around the corner. And that's what's going to be like when Jesus sounds that trumpet, right? says, blow that thing, let's go back. The people who are in Christ are going to be like, come on. Bring us home. And those who've been doing evil are going to say, can you give me five more minutes? And he's going to say, time's up. It's over. 
Revelation 21 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming what? Down. Get this. We can't go up to where he is. We can't earn it. He's going to have to come down to us. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away Every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of life, of water of life, without payment. You don't earn this stuff. You can't earn it. It's given as a gift. Uh, go down to verse 22. I saw no temple in this city. We've got to have a temple to worship God. You don't need one. He's there. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Well, we're going to be in the dark. No, no, no. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Jesus, I'm unclean. Not if you've been washed by my blood. In Christ, folks, I am a, before Christ, I am a dirty, rotten, sinning scoundrel. But dressed in his righteousness, the blood covering over me, I walk in clean, pure, spotless. God, I know I've got some stuff to do. No, no, Jesus took care of that on the cross. We're good now. Look at this. Look. Um, look at chapter 22, verse 5. Verse 4. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And you go all the way down to this. Uh, Go to, okay, go, go to verse 18. Verse 17. Uh, the spirit of the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. You can't pay for this. It's going to be given to you. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. To that end, God, we pray. And we know that you don't require a vote from us, but we just want to let you know we're ready for you to return whenever you're ready. But Lord, I pray that right now, even in this room, I know this is a class. 
I know that it's a course. I know that we're walking through this. But God, there may be somebody here tonight who needs to give their life to you because we're not promised tomorrow. And one day you're going to return or one day our heart's going to stop beating and we're going to face you. And what you do with us forever is going to be dependent upon what we do with you now. So God, I pray in this room, if there's anybody who needs to put their trust and faith in you to say that if you see me as a dirty sinner and still love me enough to die on the cross to save me for my sins and to grant me eternity with you, God, I say yes. I received that gift. And for all of us, may we continue to live this day realizing people need to know that Jesus is coming. He's coming back and we need to be ready. And for that end, Christ, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.